Anna Sussman brings us this first story from the land down under. Travelling across Australia on my way to a place called Port Macdonald, which is in the top end of Australia. There's not a lot of people out there, there's small communities scattered throughout that part of the territory. It's very dry, pretty harsh, scrubby sort of land. There's not a lot out there. Kangaroos, a few bugs, wild dogs. I always listen to music. I was listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. This was the third time I'd actually gone around Australia, so I knew the area, I knew the roads, and I sort of I wasn't that worried to be driving out there on my own because I'd done it before. I don't know if you, you might hear a lot of stories about Australia, people going missing in the outback, and <laughs> yeah, I used to make fun of those people. You know, you don't think that anything like that could happen to you. I saw some people looked like they were broken down on the side of the road, and this is what they led me to believe anyway. I ended up stopping to help them, and I let one of them in my car. About half an hour or 40 minutes down the road, this guy somehow managed to slip something into a can of Pepsi that I had beside me. Uh, I started feeling drowsy, and the next thing I know, this guy was wrestled me for the, for the steering wheel, and, and yeah, we sort of ended up having a little bit of a fighting match in the car, and then ended up getting stuck down the bottom of a ravine. Then I passed out. I remember waking up. It was dark when I woke up, and I could smell the earth. I could hear this noise coming from behind me. But as I stood up, a big flash of daylight hit me in the eyes and I realized that I, I was sort of in a hole and I'd been covered up with a piece of tarpaulin. I looked up and a few dingoes sort of standing around. It looked like one of them was actually scratching at the tarpaulin trying to get under it. So that's what sort of woke me up, I think. Picked up a couple of rocks and threw them at the dingoes and they all took a few steps back and you know, I was still a bit dazed and confused and I sort of tried to work out where I was. I realised I had no shoes and no socks and uh, I was basically left in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and they'd taken everything else from me. I ended up walking most of that day. Never thought I'd actually be out there for any length of time so I just sort of kept walking thinking that any minute now I'm going to walk over a sort of horizon or the next batch of trees and find a road and go and find my car and everything was going to be okay. The first two days I was out there I didn't have any water at all, so I had to um, had to urinate in my jocks and then wring it out in my mouth to get some sort of fluid, um, which was pretty disgusting. If you ever have to do it, make sure you let it cool down first because yeah, it's not very nice. But then on the third day, after praying for water, I saw a massive thunderstorm off in the distance, so I sort of ran towards that and managed to find a, a heap of water. I didn't see any more water for about eight days after that, but what I did was the t-shirt that I was wearing, I took that off and I used to drag that through the grass in the morning that sort of, you know, soak up all the dew and I'd get a little bit of water every morning that way. But I didn't really see any decent water for, I don't know, a good 10 to 12 day period. I was getting pretty hungry because I hadn't eaten anything yet. I was looking for some witchetty grubs inside a couple of old dead tree trunks. I stuck my hand down inside one of them and I got bitten by a big bush centipede which basically started to paralyse my body after about four or five hours. I ended up about three and a half, four hours later sort of staggering around, screaming out, trying to get, trying to get help from someone, but obviously there was nobody out there and then the last thing I know, it, I passed out. 
it got to the point where because I wasn't eating any food, I mean, apart from sort of lizards that I could catch, small lizards, crickets, grasshoppers, a few bugs, over the sort of 10, 12 day period that I was walking out there, I started losing weight and I just started losing energy. I ended up finding the dam and I camped on that dam for about 10 days, drank a heap of water, started eating leeches and frogs and things like that. And then one day I decided that, yep, feel pretty good again. I've got some food, got some water. So I tried to start walking again. I walked about maybe four or five k's away from the dam and I ended up dropping from dehydration again. I woke up in the sun, sort of roasting away and I just thought there's no way I can walk anymore. So I literally turned around and started walking back towards the dam and it took me about six hours to walk five kilometers back to the dam. So yeah, I just realized that I didn't have the energy to walk away from there. I was stuck there, I wasn't going anywhere. I thought if nobody comes to find me then there's a good chance that I won't, I won't walk out of here. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a worry. Well first there was the dingoes, I mean if anybody knows anything about Australia, dingoes can be pretty vicious, they hunt in packs and they sort of prey on anything that's weak and they must have realised that um, I was in a bit of trouble. This one pack of dingoes literally followed me the whole way and hung around the little camp that I made. They basically stayed there the whole time, more or less waiting for me to die, I think. Because I'd been eating different types of vegetation, I was actually stripping plants with my teeth. I think I got some splinters or something under one of my teeth and uh, ended up turning into an abscess. And one morning I woke up and I, I thought I'd been bitten by a spider because the whole side of my mouth was swollen up and I was really worried and I actually thought yeah this is it I'm going to die so I sort of laid there for the next sort of six to eight hours waiting to die but I didn't I just laid there in pain I, I broke a bit of wire off the fence and I ended up um, stabbing the blisters inside my mouth with this bit of wire and then I just ended up spitting all the bad blood out the blisters just kept coming up even though I kept popping them they kept coming up and the tooth was getting loose and I just realized that the tooth had to come out so um, I ended up getting the, this really big thick piece of fencing wire and ended up hooking it under, underneath my tooth. So I, I had two or three goes at it. The first go I had it, I passed out and then I woke up and I was sort of in a pool of blood coming out of my mouth and then got up the courage and had another go at it. The second time I didn't pass out but it was yeah, I was in a lot of pain. And then the third go I had at it, I actually pulled it out but as I pulled it out I passed out from pain again and I woke up and I had this tooth hanging out my mouth. What freaked me out the most was watching myself just get thinner and thinner every day. Even though I was trying to eat as much as I could, the dam that I, that I was staying on, I ended up eating all the frogs, all the leeches, I ate all the crickets, all the grasshoppers. I just slowly watched myself, yeah, getting thinner and thinner and thinner. I remember sitting there one day just thinking to myself, you know, how thin does a person get before they actually die? Every day I woke up, I saw a new bone poking out somewhere. The dam was getting dry. It was at that point where I was just waiting to die. It was just a matter of time. Uh, think about your family, think about your friends, think about all the things you wish you'd done. I wanted to do a lot more traveling overseas. Hadn't had kids yet. I put a cross above the shelter that I made out there. I thought eventually, surely someone might come across this dam and if they do, if the dingoes haven't come and taken my body away, that there'll be some remains left inside and my family might have something to bury. 
I wrote a little message in the side of my cattle trough that, that I made my home. You know, I just put, wrote my name up in there and my date of birth and things like that. So I thought if, you know, if they do find me, then somebody will know whose bones were there anyway. Every night I sort of entombed myself just in case I didn't wake up the next day. When I first started putting the shelter together, I'd be sitting in it sometimes and the wind would whistle through there and it used to sound like a, a car driving down the road and I'd jump out to see if it was and, and of course it never was until this one day I was laying in the shelter, I heard this noise and it sounded like a car and I, you know, it's like boy I cry wolf, yeah, yeah, whatever, it's not really happening and then all of a sudden I heard it change gears and I thought, no, that's not the wind, the wind doesn't change gears. I quickly jumped out of my shelter, the guys that were in the car, they thought that I was a dingo up on top of the dam, so they pulled the gun out. Looked through the scope of the gun and saw that it, um, that it was a human up on top of the dam and not a dingo. And then they sort of came over and said, you know, you all right? And started asking me questions, who I was, where I was, what the hell I was doing out there. And I started to go through the whole story and they, yeah, they literally just, they couldn't believe it. Couldn't stop touching them, <laughs> just to make sure they were real. I was actually out there for 71 days in total before I actually got found, so not quite three months. But yeah, then they just they took me back to their station house, called the um, flying doctor service, and then the flying doctor service came in the next day and picked me up. I was in the hospital for about uh, five or six weeks um, before I signed myself out. I was so happy about being back in the land of the living that I didn't want to sit in hospital. When I actually had to walk into a shopping centre and it was full filled with hundreds of people and I, you know, I was trying to get my head around actually dodging people and dodging trolleys and having to talk to people, it was a little bit daunting, a bit overwhelming. It sort of scared me a bit. Then I'd be going and lock myself in my house for two or three days. When I got back, a lot of people didn't believe that um, I'd been out there for any length of time. That was that was what was the worst part about it. That I'd actually spent all that time out there, nearly died, hadn't done anything wrong, and was being made to feel like that I lied about the whole thing, you know? And it's like, well, I'm not here to tell you that I'm telling the truth. I'm happy just that I'm, I'm actually alive and I'm happy to be here. Four months later, five months later, I went back out there. And um, I just, yeah, I just felt like, you know, a big part of my life had changed and I just, I just, I needed a bit of closure. I just felt like I left a part of me out there. So uh, we went out there and we nearly got stuck out there again, myself and um, the reporter that I went out with. We got our car stuck in the mud. We ended up camping out in the same hut that <laughs> I, I hated for so long. I just thought, oh no, here we go again. You know, it's all happening all over again. But luckily, we'd already told the station where we were, and when we didn't turn up, they sent the chopper out to have a look for us, and the same station guys that sort of rescued me the first time came back out and rescued the both of us the second time. It was a bit of a laughing matter, actually. They, they thought it was a great joke. <laughs> I was having nightmares, honey. I, just, I literally couldn't sleep that night. I was having nightmares. It was unbelievable. Everyone was quite relieved to hear that chopper land, I tell you. Many thanks, many, many thanks to Ricky McGee for sharing his tale. And yes, dear snappers, he wrote a book. It's called Left for Dead, How I Survived 71 Days in a Desert Hell. Amazing story, Ricky. Lovingly produced by our own Anna Sussman. Because today on Snap Judgment, we're hungry. 
We've got some stories coming up that you're going to want to stick in the oven and sop up with some gravy when Snap Judgment returns. <laughs>